Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and I'm absolutely delighted to have Joyce Rupp back on the podcast. Uh, A few months ago, I talked with her about her book, Return to the Root. I gave it out to two friends of mine for Christmas, and they, uh, number one, responded to the cover like I did. I love this gorgeous tree that's uh, the artwork that's on the cover, but they have loved it, and they have been just slowly making their way through this book. And I knew uh, at that time I needed to have Joyce back on because we touched on a very important book of hers, um, a a really, I don't know, maybe a life theme. We'll get into that and I'll I'll ask her this, but we're going to talk today about her book, Boundless Compassion. Uh, Subtitle is Creating a Way of Life. And of course, um, the beautiful thing is there's a, a journal that uh, accompanies it, and there's a, a book of prayers, prayers of boundless compassion. We'll talk about all of that today with Joyce Rupp. And Joyce, number one, I want to welcome you back to the podcast first. Let's oh, thank you. Thank you, Anita. Hello. Good to be back with you. I sure enjoyed our last time, conversation together. So thank you. Thank you. And, and I want to ask you, sometimes I do this with guests. How do you introduce yourself? You know, so often we'll read a bio on someone from the back of their book or, but how, how do you like to introduce yourself? Well, you know, first of all, I'm a member of a religious community. I have been for many years. My my community is uh, Servants of Mary or Servite. But I I ask people not to use, not to introduce me as Sister Joyce Rupp. And here's why. Because I think titles separate us. And as soon as we put a title in front, it it not only separates us, but it it does some kind of gradation of importance, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, when I worked in uh, rural parishes and I would ask the people this, some of them, I mean, they found it very difficult. Some of them had, had been, you know, baptized Catholics and grown up with priest sisters and this, you know, and it doesn't mean a lack of reverence or respect, but I would say to them, well, okay, you can call me Sister Joyce, but then whenever I see you, I'll call you Mrs. Smith. Well, they got, they got the message pretty quickly, you know, but, but at the same time, I said, if you're really uncomfortable, you just go ahead and, and use sister, but. So that part of it. And, um, you know, I, it took me a long time to, to really name myself as a writer. It wasn't until long after my first book was published. But I, I think the most important uh, thing for me after my name is that um, I really am a citizen on this planet. I want so much to, to experience my unity with others and, and, and with all of creation, really. So, so that's, that's the most important uh, piece of it for me, but thanks for, thanks for asking. Yeah. I love that uh, unity with others, which I think is very interesting, especially as we look back on, I don't know, the past five, seven, however, beyond that years, as there's been much uh, division here in our country 
And, uh, but as we think of unity with others, you know, globally, uh, in our neighborhoods, you can go mm -hmm. in direction with that. Um, yeah. and as we look at that scripturally too, we're called to unity, mm -hmm. oh, but how to do that and what that looks like. Um, and I, I actually think that really flows into the theme that we're going to talk about today. Um, you have written, I think a wonderful book called boundless compassion. And when I talked to you about uh, your book, Return to the Root, this theme came up and we touched mm -hmm. on it. And I thought I need to have you back to talk about this. This this book and this theme of compassion almost seems like a life life's work. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or if you would call it that. But when did this theme of compassion enter your your life? Mm -hmm. You, I, I never would have thought that boundless compassion, that's where I'd be today with it. And it still astounds me how I've gotten to this point. But I, I think you're right, uh, Anita, that it is, it is my life's uh, journey now. And, it, and I think it's going to be for the rest of my life. It's just so rooted in me. But, you know, I entered my community after a year of college. And it was during that second year, my novitiate year, that I learned a lot about our spirituality and that our focus really is to marry the mother of Jesus standing at the foot of the cross. And so um, our, I learned that our ministry was to be with anyone who's, you know, suffering and to see the Christ in all people. Um, so, so that was the start of it. And then, um, but I didn't, I didn't, I don't even know if we use the word compassion then so much. Uh, but then it was, uh, I was 25 and my brother drowned at age 23. And that really broke open everything for me. Uh, I, I, for my first experience of deep loss and, and suffering and what is it all about? And, uh, it took me about 15 years to really kind of come to some you know, peacefulness with that death. And uh, then, and then during that time, I started doing some work with um, some rural parishes as a, as a pastoral minister. And so I was involved in a lot of people's suffering. And, and during that time, I remember accompanying the first woman I ever did with who had terminal cancer. And, mm -hmm. and during that time, I read Henry Nowen came out with the book called Compassion. Mm -hmm. That was my first reading of anything on compassion. And it was so drawn to that that book I just it was amazing and so that that it opened the door even wider and then um, in um, 2004 one of my really really closest closest soul friends died rather suddenly of a brain bleed and um, he was just such a gentle compassionate person uh, a priest in a um, Hispanic parish, a Latina parish. And uh, anyway, so I, I came home from the hospital that morning after he died and I was just so bereft, you know, and I, I stood at the patio window, I was looking out at the woods and, and just crying. And this hummingbird came to the, to the window and it just hovered there. I mean, and it looked, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm, it seemed like it was 10 minutes, but I'm sure it was at least two or three. And I was just astounded because my friend loved hummingbirds wow. and he, he never talked about nature all that much, but he loved hummingbirds. And honestly, when I stood there and I looked at that, that little bird, I, I, someplace in me, I just heard these words, love is all there is, mm. you know, and 
And that was that was the big turning for me. And I, I thought, you know, the best way I can honor his remembrance is by being as compassionate as he was and mm -hmm. as much as I can be. And that was that was, I mean, the door flung wide open at that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, uh, yeah, and I can imagine that. Actually, I was just talking with a dear friend who's had some grief and she had a hummingbird experience. Wow. Not dissimilar. And I, I said, wait a minute. I was texting with her. I said, wait a minute. I've got to grab Joyce Rupp's book because I just <laughs> read about this in her book. And yeah. she had, has a, a copy of your book as well. And so said it's yeah. on page so-and-so and, and, -so and, and um, how lovely that, that God meets us in so many different kinds of ways. And so mm -hmm. individually, right. I love that. You know, and what I was saying in the beginning, I don't know if I even finished that, but, but, you know, I just believe that all the singular events that's, that they are important to us. I mean, we don't see the, the connectedness with all of them until we really can look back quite a ways. And that's why I'm astounded today, you know, how, how every piece is like a big puzzle, you know, it just keeps more and more comes together. And, and just you wait for the next thing and just trust, you know, I trust that the Holy One's here with me in this. And I, if I'm open, it'll, it'll move me onward. So, yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that. And that's just a good word. You know, we learn and grow also through each other's stories. And so I love mm -hmm. um, you telling your story and, you know, maybe giving each of us pause to look back at our own story as well as we you know, read through what you've written here on boundless compassion. Um, how, what, what, what came next? I mean, you talk early on in your book, I think even in the introduction about um, educationally, some things that happened, um, studying, doing some graduate studies at Naropa, which I had never heard of, actually, oh, that was okay. new to me. And um, this theme coming up um, of compassion and talk a little bit about about that and your wonderings, you know, mm -hmm. uh, this is a big theme. This is a big theme with Buddhists, mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until I um, did graduate studies in transpersonal psychology. And there were only two places in the country I could get a degree in that. And one of them was in Colorado at, at Naropa University, which is a Buddhist university. Oh. And so I love Colorado. So I chose to, to go there. And, and then I was, I was just intrigued. I mean, I, I really felt out of my comfort zone at first. I'd never been in a totally non-Christian environment. Um, but I decided to take some Buddhist courses in meditation and learn about more about their uh, beliefs. And I, I was amazed at how compassion is a central focus for them. And we talked about unity in the beginning. And, you know, for Buddhism, the foundation is called the law of one that we are united with everything that exists. And you know, every, every time I had studied something in Buddhism, I could bring it back into my own Christian um, and my own Christian beliefs, because I thought, you know, well, here's Jesus saying in Matthew 25, whatever you do to another, you do to me, you know? And in so many ways, he's talking about our oneness, our unity. Um, John's gospel certainly is all about, a lot about that. Um, and so, um, so I, I really um, valued, valued Buddhism, and I read a lot of the books at that time, they were all written on Buddhism. There was very little on Christianity. Interesting, Finally, yeah. Interesting uh, and surprising, 
I guess. Very surprising because compassion is filled in the, I mean, the gospels are filled with it. And, and so, um, but in about the year 2000, a lot more books started coming out from a Christian perspective. But so anyway, so, uh, so my friend died in 2004 and in 2000, sometime later in 2006, I, I can still see myself. I'm standing at the door. I'm, I, I've, I've traveled in to visit some of sisters in my community at the mother house. And I'm reading a magazine that, that's a, it's a Buddhist magazine. And I, I look at this um, ad and it's a full page ad about the Dalai Lama. And he's going to have this workshop for uh, parents and how to teach their children to be compassionate. And I'm not, kidding. it was like a bolt out of the blue. And I thought, who's teaching Christians to be compassionate? You yes. Know? That just came like kerplunk. And so I really, I started thinking about that. And so I, I, that's when, that's really when the seed of this boundless compassion program really took hold. So I talked to sister Margaret Stratman in, in the community, Margaret and I had done some work together and she was director of our center of compassion at the time. And so I said, Margaret, what do you think if we ever created this program where you know, we would, we would teach compassion. I said, but I think, first of all, we need to consult for at least a year, people in all faiths and all kinds of um, uh, work and ministries. I said, and let's just ask them what they think are the components of compassion. That's interesting. And how brilliant to, to really do your own homework and research and Oh, it was so helpful. And I still remember, because I was still hesitant. I thought, gosh, you know, are, are, are people in general going to be interested in this program? And I, I remember sitting down across this chaplain, a hospice chaplain, and I had asked him ahead of time to come and talk about that. And he had a newspaper, the daily newspaper in front of him. And when I asked that question, do you think that compassion, the topic would be relevant today? And he held up the newspaper and he had circled all the stories on the front page and inside that were about people that were suffering in some way. And he said, here's your answer. And that, that confirmed it for me. And I thought, yes, we are, we are on the right track. And so that's, and so we actually started in 2008. We did our first, we started with a one day a month program. And we had people coming from five different states for that. And within that year, I had someone from the East say, writing to me and saying, you know, I can't fly in every month for this. Could you come and do it where I am? And so that evolved into a four day composite nice. program. And, and then, I mean, it's just has kept flowing since then. It's just been astounding. And so by 2017, we had so many invitations, we couldn't meet them all. And I said, we need to train other people to be doing this because we had some fantastic participants in the retreats. And, and so we, we uh, put that out there. And now in 2022, we have over a hundred facilitators who can wow. teach this program. And we have about um, eight in Canada one in the UK and one in um, Romania. Uh, so it's just been, it's been wonderful really how it's evolved. And I often say, I never intended for all this to happen. <laughs> I thought I was just going to create this nice retreat that was going to help people, you know, be, become more compassionate. And, but I think compassion is such a needed um, part of our culture now. I mean, there's so much suffering and. Um, well, I, and, and don't you think that something like this, something that's at really at the heart of Christ himself 
um, you know, he finds a way through those who are paying attention to mm -hmm. expand important um, topics, you know, to flow them out into the world in various ways. And, and through mm -hmm. you is certainly one of them. So that's yeah. exciting, I think. You know, I, I really believe we need a lot more teaching from the pulpit on compassion. Um, I, I, you know, it's kind of rare to hear that word, actually, even when I hear sermons or homilies. And, uh, you know, when I look at the Gospels, I mean, they're just threaded through with compassion. And, you know, one of the central stories, a good Samaritan story, it couldn't be more about compassion than that. And, um, you know, Matthew 25, where you know, it's the hungry, the homeless, the imprisoned, the, you know, um, yeah. all well, of that. so, mm -hmm. and, and Jesus, you know, he arrives on the scene, starting his ministry and the scroll is unrolled. He goes into the synagogue and what he reads and talks about are compassionate issues or people who need compassion the you know, to free the slaves, to, um, um, yes. help the poor, et cetera. Same thing that you're just talking yeah, about. That, that quote from Isaiah that he yes. used, you know, that was, this is why I'm here, you know, and he uses the words to help them re recover sight, you know, from, for the blind and, uh, liberate the imprisoned. And I mean, it was a powerful moment where he laid out what he felt he was being called to do. And, um, and so I love that. And, you know, I've looked at a lot of his life, his actions, and, you know, just the other day, again, I was uh, reading that story of the Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. There's something about that story I really like. And, oh, me too. And, and, you know, because they were on the move and his disciples say to the guy, just shut up. We're going, you know, we're moving on, you know, we, we can't deal with you right now. And there's this, these few words and it says, Jesus stood still. And I love that because I think that's part of what compassion is about. Ooh. You have to stand still and notice you have to, you have to turn you have to, instead of just moving on with all that. Cause he was, he was on, you know, he was, he had something in mind that day where he was going and, and the disciples wanted them to just, yeah. Hey, let's just keep on here. Um, I which reminds me, if I can, I can share this story. Just oh yes. Please. But <clears throat> I was in the, I don't know where I read this in some story in some book, but it was a true story about um, a seminary in the East. And the professor, the teacher was, he was teaching seminarians how to give a homily. And so he assigned them the Good Samaritan story. And they only had a certain amount of time to write it and to get over to the, wherever they were going to, the church, I guess they were going to have to give this short five minute homily. And so he had planted, without their knowing it, he had planted outside the door to the classroom. He had this guy that was covered in ketchup and looked like he had been you know, homeless for a long time. Great. And these guys who are writing this homily about the Good Samaritan, they go dashing out the door, step over this guy and race over to the church. And so, of course, his whole point when he got over there was, you know, taken up with that, that thing. Well, I was telling that story. And when I finished, I was in the East someplace giving a, a talk. And this guy came up to me and he said, I was one of those oh. guys. Well, then I was a little embarrassed. He said, but it's 
true. He said, it's a true story. He said, it did happen. And I thought, yeah, that's so I go back to that blind Bartimaeus. Jesus stood still. I, I, you know what? I, I, I stop on many things in that story, but I had not stopped on that, that Jesus stood still. Um, I'm a, a trained in the, in the Enneagram and oh yeah, I'm an Enneagram three. And so that Jesus stood still, oh, yeah. that speaks to me. And I see, yeah. even as my 83, nearly 84 year old mother's moving. I see how I sometimes move too quickly and just need to stand still and listen. Yeah. yeah. That's a good word. And and that, and that's what a compassionate act. I just had not seen that. Thank you, Joyce. You're welcome. Thank you, spirit. (laughs) Uh, Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to talk a little bit and we'll, we'll delve into some of the content, but I want to talk a little bit about how your book is set up. One of the things that I've noticed about your materials that I love is they're very interactive. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not there. I love how you do tell us a lot. You're there, but you're not there just to give us information. You're there to get us and invite us into a conversation. Mm -hmm. If I'm reading it right, that's what I feel like so many of your books do. And this one is, is, um, not unlike uh, others that I that I've read. So, how, you know, talk about how you set it up, and and I do love the fact that there's a companion journal for boundless mm-hmm. compassion. If you want to do that and go deeper, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad you noticed that, Anita, because that that has really kind of been my um, from my writing world. It's that's been my desire is to encourage integration of material. You know, I, I think it's just, and I say that for myself, you know, uh, when I read a book and it's meaningful to me, you know, I go back to that book and I, then I go over what I had underlined or made notes about. And because I want to take it in, I don't want it just to be head stuff. Yes. I want it to make a difference in my life. And so I've tried to do that, you know, with my books. And so the Boundless Compassion book um, I actually divided it up into six weeks. And so each week, you know, has one day and tried not to make it too long so people could read it, you know, in five, 10 minutes and then have a question, you know, for them to ponder. So they could sit with that for a bit. And it's been really helpful for so many, there've been so many study groups around the book and uh, it's been very helpful, I think, for, for those who have gathered to, you know, you just need a good question sometimes to take you deeper or to open up something that you hadn't thought about before. And, and so that, that's really what I try to do. I have always loved good questions when people have asked me good questions, especially if they kind of get under my skin, then I know I really need to listen to it. (laughs) I'm with you there. (laughs) My spiritual director poses one of those kind of questions. I'm like, Oh, all right. I yeah. know what I'm going to be sitting with for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you, you know, the sections, you break it down into um, several things, compassion as a way of life. The, as you say, you break it into six, mm-hmm. six weeks. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to ask you about some of these weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk yeah. about in week two, welcoming ourselves. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, the welcoming ourselves is really about having respect and care for ourselves as much as we do for other people. And, and that really, I think why that, that has really taken hold for me is because I grew up in, um, in, um, 
an environment where I, I had very caring parents, but we, uh, our ethnicity was such that you, you didn't pay attention to yourself. And when my brother drowned, I don't even remember us hugging each other or crying then. I mean, it was wow. that thing of you tough it out and you be strong. And, um, and if we were hurt, you know, I remember I hit my head on the um, uh, railing uh, when we were playing, kids were playing in the barn and my, I mean, it was a, cut, it was a big cut in the back of my head on blood's you know, as a kid, you're screaming and yelling, you see the sign of blood. And I just, I just remember my dad saying from the, the shop he was working, he says, you know, stop that yelling. I'll give you something to yell about. I mean, yeah, at, le at least okay. my guy in the house, my mom took care of me, but, but it was that sort of thing. And so when I started reading about compassion for self, you know, it, it was like, oh my gosh, I, I, I am worthy of, of care and attention and I don't have to just tough it out all the time. And, and I can, I can be as compassionate to myself as I am to someone else. And, and then I, I thought about um, my upbringing because I've, I've, been, I've been Catholic all my life. And uh, I thought about all those messages from you know, um, it's better to give than to receive. And actually, Jesus never said that, but people yes, quoted him saying yes. that. Um, you know, or you know, lay down your life for a friend. Well, you know, there are times when we have to just give everything. But, you know, you mentioned your mom moving. And, and you know, um, when I think when we're, we're being caregivers or we're being attentive to other people who are suffering, we, we need to be that same kind of caring and, and attentive to ourselves. And I have a section, one of those days in that week on welcoming ourselves where I noted all different ways that Jesus was self-compassionate. You know, he never said specifically, be sure to be compassionate toward yourself, but he showed it by what he did. You know, I mean, he let himself grieve. He wept. Right. And he went away to pray. And when people were out to get him, he, he sought solitude and he, he left the scene. Um, That's you know, a great he, point. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And, you, you know, I remember we, one of the scenes I like so much, I guess, because I, I felt that way in my ministry sometimes. But, you know, people were so crowding on the shore that he actually said, let me get in the boat and, you know, get out a little ways so I, I have a little yes. distance from them. So that whole thing from boundaries and that, but yes. anyway, I think, I think welcoming ourselves Buddhism, uh, it's interesting because the early books on compassion that I read on Buddhism said that we should always begin with, with compassion for self when teaching about compassion. But after a while, especially in the Western culture, they said, maybe it's better not to start there because it's, that's the hardest part for people to accept about compassion is self-compassion. And you know, of the four days of retreat, we have a whole day. The second day is all focused on compassion for self. And on the evaluations, almost everyone will say that was the most difficult day. Harder than forgiveness, oh. harder than non-judgment, self-compassion. Yeah. I, I always think, often think of the, the greatest commandment, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your yeah. neighbor as yourself. And there's that presupposition that we yeah. do love ourselves, but that's not mm -hmm. necessarily 
actually what's happening. So I, I hear you. Yeah. That makes sense. I'll, I'll I once read that. a I once read a quote about that, and and the the writer said, uh, "I I really hope that some people do not love me as they love yeah, themselves." Yes. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, you have um, a whole week, you know, one um, on suffering. It's called the river of suffering. Mm -hmm. And there is so much suffering in the world, you know, at the at the recording time of recording this podcast, you know, people will listen at different times, but there is a, a war that we are all very focused on um, in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 you can point to so many other things as well. Again, so much suffering in the world. How do we not get buried by it or burnt out in the attempt to live out boundless compassion? Yeah, yeah. That's such a good question. And wow, it's it's a tough one because there's so much um, we know from the whole pandemic, the compassion fatigue that so many of our first responders and medical people have experienced. And, um, you know, I just the one of the things that comes to my mind is I have a friend who um, she's very she's older she's very independent and um, you know she won't lean on people unless she absolutely has to you know kind of thing and she's I love her she's just a beautiful person and uh, but about a month ago she wrote to me with this startling uh, email and she said I'm sitting here on the sofa and I just wish you were here to hold my hand I thought oh my gosh and then she said. I know I've just been watching too much news. She said, I'm just inundated with the suffering that I see. And, you know, and so we had a conversation. You, you got to turn off that news. You cannot just keep being putting yourself in there. I mean, that's like masochistic, really, just to say, I just, I've got to keep taking this on. And, and so I, one of the things I think is, well, big thing I think is, is try to have balance and it's hard. I don't know if we ever get totally balanced, but um, but really, um, it, it, to say to ourselves, it's okay to step aside for a while. You know, my sister, uh, my brother-in-law had uh, Parkinson and other uh, related health issues. And the last year of his life, she hardly ever left their house. I mean, she just wanted to be there 24 hours with him. And I saw how she kept losing weight, got over, you know, overwhelmed. I mean, it was that was a really tough time. And so, you know, if caregivers don't care for themselves, they're going to, they're going to get ill and then they won't be able to be a caregiver. You know, it's that, that kind of thing. So choosing, choosing to care for ourselves and um, trying to, you know, get some balance um, is, is just vital. And it, it isn't self-centered to do that. I think the other thing that's really helpful, certainly helpful for me is the is the support of other people, you know, to um, whoever that might be that that we can just say what we want to to them. Um, they don't need to fix us or anything. We just need to be heard and understood. You know that yeah, it's so helpful. And and other thing personally for me has been, um, I am really faithful to my morning uh, meditation and prayer time, and that oftentimes will give me a perspective. And it's astounding how many times. I'll read something that morning that just, oh, okay, that really helps me. I can, yeah, I can see this a little differently or I, I feel new strength coming from it. So I agree. I actually had a text conversation with someone last night who said, can I talk to you about this? Is this too heavy or whatever? I could, no, <laughs> they mm -hmm. texted and 
I realized they were really carrying this and not able to offload it. And we had just yeah. a brief interchange. And at the end, she said, mm -hmm. I already feel better just having a place, you know, to share this and yes. exactly what you said. And I, I wanted to ask this too. Um, is, is there a shadow side of compassion or, or is that it what you talked about of just not giving ourselves breaks or, or is there another kind of shadow side of compassion? I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. We actually teach a component on um, the shadow side of compassion in our, our Bama's compassion retreat because, um, and actually I read this, it wasn't my, my um, original idea. I'm trying to remember the book, um, the rhythm of compassion is in that book and uh, Gail, I can't remember her last name, but anyway, it, it, she has a chapter on the shadow of compassion in that book. And, and it, the question really is, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or why am I saying what I'm saying? It's all about motivation. Oh, mo okay. And I'll <laughs> that tell makes you, sense. Okay. So many times the shadow side can be about our ego, you know, just as a simple example, that if I'm going to um, a funeral, let's say, or memorial service, and I'm all caught up in what am I going to say and how will I feel when I get there? And, you know, then I, it's all about me. It's not about the person that I'm going to support and uh, comfort and, and so on. Um, or, you know, another, I think it's, it can be a big shadow is um, working with people who are very different than we are. Um, perhaps they are impoverished or they have some kind of illness that, um, you know, is, is, it affects them uh, in a way that their personality is not pleasant and so on. Um, you know, and so I go in with the, with just the belief that I'm, I'm better than they are because I'm well, I'm healthy, or I'm better because I don't live the way that they live. Or, or I'm more educated know, or I'm more educated. That's a, that's a big shadow. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just really encourage myself and others just always to pause and say, be, before we put ourselves deliberately in any situation of suffering, mm -hmm. what is my intention here? I appreciate that. I wanted to, I think this is an important one. It's something that we are hearing more about. And I think finally, maybe in the church context, thinking and focusing on more than we have in the past. And that is um, caring for the earth, compassion for our planet that we are living on, you know, help us frame mm. caring for the earth as compassionate action. Uh. Yeah, and that's that's one of my um, what what I say soft spots, I guess. <laughs> uh, that see, I grew up in uh, rural Iowa, Northwest Iowa. So, living on a farm, I just naturally grew up with creatures and plants, and took it for granted, really, that I was, you know, that they were all a part of me. But then, you know, and I got into high school and that, and you know, like I. I, I grew away from that for a while. And then in my twenties, I started coming back to seeing, oh, how much nature means to me. But I thought, then I started doing the boundless compassion. I thought, how, how, do, how do we help or assist others to 
who who aren't you know don't have that kind of connection with nature to see that there is actual suffering going on you know how how do how do we get them to look at a polluted river and and experience that that river is suffering because of that pollution or how do we look at you know polar bears and realize that without having the the ice and the the winter glaciers and that 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 they can survive in their home so it occurred to me and it was this was a book i read some time ago it's called thinking like a mountain mm. and it was by joanna macy and a couple other authors and what they said what they invited to and they had practice um, you know uh, ways, practical ways to do this, but they would ask us to actually imagine ourselves as a part of nature. Hmm. For instance, if if I if I were that river and there's all that gunk in that river, what would it be like to have oh. that to have that flowing through me all day long? Mm -hmm. You know, or what would it be like to be? Um, um, a certain species and know that I'm one of the last ones that there's not going to be anymore. And so we will, we have a, a one of our, our days on compassion for creation, then we send them out. And we ask them to just choose, it could be a blade of grass, it could be a tree, it could be anything, and just sit with that and try to move through four seasons with that, that piece of nature. And what would that be? What do they experience? And you know, and it's more than just a metaphorical thing. You know, science today is saying that actually trees have their own knowledge and they do communicate with each other. Yes, I love that. I do too. And the same, the same way with plants. And, uh, you know, there's a Gary Lar Larson cartoon just coming on. Gary, I like Gary Larson because yeah, he's me too. but he has this cartoon and he has two big goldfish and they're fishing. And they got their poles in the water and the one goldfish has a, a man on the end of his hook. And he says to the other one, oh, it's okay. They don't feel anything. <laughs> oh. and, I, and I, that I thought, yeah, how many times I've heard people say, oh, it's okay. You know, whatever it is, they, they don't, it doesn't bother them. It doesn't hurt them. So it's that whole thing of trying to, trying to get empathy is really what it is. Empathy is when we can we can get a sense of what the other is, is experiencing. And in this case, case, can we get an experience of how nature's suffering? And then the big question is, you know, what can I do? How can I um, alleviate suffering, which is what compassion is about? Uh, how can I um, alleviate it or lessen it um, in some way? And so that's where Everything from turning off the water when you're brushing your teeth to save the water, to um, stop using those crazy plastic bags, to anything like that. You know, right. every single one makes a difference. I've often said, if one day on our in our country, if everyone would refuse to use a plastic bag, do you know how many plastic bags would not be in the ocean? Oh, right? I'm afraid. Tell me. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's it's so it's that movement. You know. Yeah isn't just about an attitude, but it's also about action. Yeah. Well, and I think what you've also just shown and illustrated, it's not just about people. I think yeah. that's immediately yeah. what we think of. And yeah. I've recently, and I, I think, I feel like God prompted me in this direction. I've been watching these shows about animals, which is something that uh -huh. I, it's not my, nor my 
normal go-to. And mm-hmm. several of them have focused on zoos, which honestly, I can't even believe. I'm going to admit this because it's true. I had no idea they did so much work with, uh, in conservation and conserving mm-hmm. species and perpetuating mm-hmm. species that were endangered. And, mm-hmm. and, and I had no idea the beautiful care that they gave to animals when they got sick or ill or, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, I, it is, it's been eye-opening to me and beyond just what a zoo does. I think it's just been helpful for me in, in mm-hmm. looking more broadly at, uh, creation and, um, Mm-hmm. And just and animals, I yeah, I, I'm surprised, but yes, yeah, wonderful. that is that is just wonderful because what you're doing is, you know, Thomas Berry has written some. He wrote so much on um, um, on compassion for creation, and he, you know, he says we need to approach nature as a thou rather than an it, and and what you're doing with what just what you're saying, Anita, is you're you're experiencing, experiencing, um, animals as a thou, you know, uh, respect and seeing mm-hmm. how wonderful it is. Cause these, they are worth saving just like yes. worth saving. Oh yeah. I've cried more watching this. <laughs> and I've thought of a friend of mine who, oh, who just, who works with animals, um, uh, donkeys, horses, size B, smaller horses, mm-hmm. um, dogs, cats. I, I she has a little mini ranch and, and, mm. and yes. And I don't know my, it's so interesting to me. My thoughts have not have been, they are in the process of being shifted or yeah. changed, you know, and I, and I love that. Yeah. I, I do. Yeah. That's, you know, um, there's a beautiful PBS program on, um, on creatures and it's mothers tending to their young. Okay. If you have a chance to see it, it is so touching. I mean, what these mothers know and, and yes. how they go, what they, the lengths they will go to, to care for their offspring. It's just gorgeous. And when I've, I've, I've seen it a couple of times and I thought, oh, you know, how could we not believe that there is this beautiful part yes. of our, our, our planet that is, is involved with these creatures. Oh, it's just, it's marvelous. Yeah. I love that. I'm curious Joyce, if, you know, you've been involved in this work for a long time, um, have you become more encouraged the longer you've been in it or, or discouraged as you look at the world landscape and at people and what are your thoughts? Both. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll start with the encourage first. Um, you know, one of the joys of, of having, um, been a part of this program as it's developed in boundless compassion is discovering all over the world, the programs, the people who are so involved and so dedicated to um, lessening suffering on our planet. And in so many different ways and every country and, um, you know, Paul Hawkins has this book, Blessed uh, Unrest. And he, this was like, I'm I think it's been at least 15 years ago. He he discovered, I think at that time, over a million uh, groups and individuals that are working for good on our planet. Wow. And, and we don't we don't hear that in the daily news. You know, no, it's you're always right. the exception. Oh yeah, at the end it's tagged on. We got to leave people feeling good. Right. Here's a nice little thing that's going on. 
I wish it could be the opposite. You know, here's all the good stuff. And now here's one of the really rotten things that are happening. But right. You know, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. But so I, I just try to remember that. And truly, and our facilitators, I mean, these people are all volunteers and they're so dedicated to um, doing these programs and encouraging their other people to be compassionate. So that that's how I'm encouraged. But, you know, my discouragement is, and I think this maybe is a part of being older, is just seeing um, how war and bigotry and um, hostility and all of that, it doesn't go away. And I, I want it to go away. I so desperately want it to go away. Um, but I just can't focus there because if I do, I lose my energy. And so my choice is always, where do I want my energy to go? Do I want it to go to where it's positive and good and I can contribute? Or do I want it to go to where it just drags me down and I get lost in it? In, in what isn't isn't what I hope it could be and, and so on. Um, but yeah, there's still a lot to be discouraged about in my mm. honor, I have no doubt about it. That well, there's, a lot, there's a lot of good happening. Mm -hmm. And I think with that response, I, I, I need to, to ask how people can, um, you know, find out more information. I'll post this in the show notes of the podcast, but how can they find out more information about coming to one of these compassion, boundless compassion um, conferences, workshops? What do you call them? <laughs> you know what we usually call, well, it depends on, we have retreats and workshops. And okay. We have, so several you know, ways people can studies. Yeah. And okay. I, you know, I, I'm sure you don't know this, but because it's just happened recently, but it's so exciting. Um, we now have two co-directors who are going to be um, taking over my directorship wonderful. and they're both skilled, wonderful women. And uh, Wendy developed, uh, created a website just for boundless compassion. Great. So it's, it's boundlesscompassion.org and it has, um, it lists all the events that are going on now and it soon will list the facilitators that people can contact and um, if they want them to come for programs in their some, you know, um, part of the country or, and so, yeah, so it, that's been really exciting. Perfect. And I, I'm going to work on, I'm hoping I have it done by this summer is I want to do a little handbook on the website for people who want to teach compassion and just how they can use that book for themselves to help Wonderful. other people. So it's, it's just, it keeps ballooning. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. I think there's no end to this. So uh, I love it. I love it. Um, would, would your hope be that people, I mean, your hope is probably that anyone would read boundless compassion and interact with the mm -hmm. questions, but I can just imagine it would be great to, to do, to go through as a group, as a small group. Yes, it really is. Yeah. And so many people are doing that now. And, uh, you know, and there's also another, I could, I didn't have room in the book for I have <laughs> the prayers, the prayers and the rituals and things that we use, um, for our retreat. I put those in those separate little oh, books nice. because the publisher said no more room in your no. book. From <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So some people are using those as, you know, if they need a study group, then they can pick up that book and use it oh, for yeah. closing. So oh, that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, I love I have the the uh, Boundless Compassion book, the Boundless Compassion journal and the prayers of Boundless Compassion. Okay. Love them all. And I'll post information on the show notes for all of those. Thanks. Joyce, Thanks. Um, again, what a treat to have you on and to hear about this very important work of yours. and. Um, May, may you be uh, 
engaged in it for many more years. And you certainly have encouraged me today. And I'm sure anyone listening to the podcast, thank you. Well, and you talked about encouragement. You encourage me because I th- I just feel real kinship with you and the way that you speak about compassion and your longing for it is it, it it's another uh, part of hope in my heart. Anita, so thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you to everyone else. I always say keep the conversation going. 